Welcome to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. The hit cast offers a weekly look at Hollywood from a conservative point of view. Sick of media bias infecting Hollywood headlines? Tired of stars insulting your views? Hit has your back. Now, here's your host, Christian Toto. Welcome to episode 74 of the Hollywood and Toto podcast, The Right Take on Entertainment. This week's speaking with Frank J. Fleming, a recovering political pundit turned sci-fi author. His latest book, SideQuest, In Realms Ungoogled, is far more than just a funny title. This week's show is sponsored by ABC, the network that can't wait to censor Roseanne's political views, even if it cuts her audience in half. Before our conversation with Frank, I wanted to talk about a speech I gave this week to the, a Colorado Republican group. I talked about my career, how I cover Hollywood in a way that's different than most celebrity entertainment journalists, and how the industry is hell-bent on lecturing us on any number of fronts. I think you kind of know the drill if you're a fan of this podcast. A question from the audience, though, caught me off guard. I'd mentioned earlier in my speech about conservative pundit Ben Shapiro from The Daily Wire and how he's required to have thousands of dollars of security to just appear at a college campus. So just the fact that he wants to speak at an event, he's got to hire lots of people to make sure that he is safe from beginning to end. It's an important point to remember, one the media is quick to forget. One woman raised her hand later in my presentation and said, you know, you mentioned Ben Shapiro. Are you afraid for your own safety, given the way conservatives are treated on college campuses? I have to say the question caught me off guard. I hadn't thought about that. And here's how I answered. You know, I don't think about my safety in the same way Ben Shapiro does. Now, he is a much bigger star than I am at this point in our careers. His public presence is much larger. He makes a name for himself wherever he goes, and he's earned it. He's a very, very smart guy. I used to work with him at Breitbart News, and uh, I think he deserves all the fame he's gotten in the last few years. But something else came to mind, though. Ben can be, I would say, pugnacious at times with some of his political commentaries. Certainly sharp, certainly smart. Certainly he's got his facts lined up, but I think he can be a little bit confrontational at times, and I think that brings out some of his enemies in ways that I don't quite do. Uh, you know, when it comes to my reporting, both at Hollywood and Toto.com and this podcast, I do try to be fair in what I say. I don't blanketly insult celebrities for no reason unless they really deserve it, and once in a while they do. I don't mock the appearances of stars. I don't say that so-and-so is fat or too thin or this or that. I just don't play that game. I never do, and I don't do it on social media either. And I think that has protected me from the worst of the worst when it comes to Twitter and Facebook and similar outlets. I just don't get the hate that some other conservative peers get at this point. And I'm very grateful for that. But I also think there's a lesson that's uh, a part of what I'm saying here is that, yes, you can fight the culture war. Yes, you can stand up and stand tall for what you believe in. And you can use social media for that very cause. But you know what? Be careful when you sling the mud and don't be cruel. You know, recently I got a bit snarky on Twitter. Someone had criticized something I had said, and I kind of fired back. I got a little, I wouldn't say nasty, I wouldn't say mean, but it wasn't my typical online persona. I kind of drifted away a bit. I was, I was being a little pugnacious, to use the term I used to describe Ben Shapiro. And guess what? Well, a couple of people who were friends with that other person started firing back at me, and it kind of took out of a, I wouldn't say a completely ugly exchange, but not the kind of exchange that I usually embark on on social media. It was very atypical for me kind of made me feel lousy too. But more importantly, I just felt like I had done something wrong. I felt like I'd kind of veered off the path that instead of kind of going back with facts and facts or even just ignoring the person, I got snarky. I got 
kind of a little bit snippy. And I think from that perspective, I invited what followed. So nothing bad happened. No death threats emerged from the conversation. It was not a big deal, especially by the way that social media interactions go these ways. Pretty mild stuff, generally speaking. But you know what? I learned a lesson from that. And I was a little mad at myself afterwards. I said, you know, I shouldn't have gone down that path. And in a way, I invited that response from those people. So since then, I've been better. I've been trying to be more mature on social media. But I think it's something that we all should do. I think we should all maybe strive for that path. You can, it doesn't mean you back down. It doesn't mean you, st- you stop fighting for what you believe in. But I think if we take a more neutral approach, a more reasoned approach, I think there's a better chance of changing some hearts and minds. I think going the other direction, you just push people away. And I think we're seeing that time and time again when it comes to the Hollywood elite and the way they lecture us about different school shootings and different events and political arguments. I don't think they're winning any converts. I think they're making themselves feel much better. I think they're making the people that they're preaching to feel much better. And everyone else is get at arm's length, if not much, much further away. At the end of the day, the facts matter first and foremost. That's how you argue. That's how you reason with people. And that's hopefully how you can win some people over at some point in the debate. may not happen quickly, but I think over time, it's the best way to go about it. I know for me, I think I'm going to leave the snark behind for now. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. Here's a celebrity tweet of the week. This week's winner is activist extraordinaire Chelsea Handler. Okay, that was a little bit snarky, but still, (laughs) you'll have to bear bear with me when you hear what she had to say. Now, my only problem this week in picking a specific Chelsea Handler tweet was, which one do you choose? They were so juicy, so off the wall, so ready to be mocked. Well, what do you do next? Well, I picked one. It obviously involves the violence in the Gaza Strip and the opening of the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. See what you think and see. let me know if I chose properly. Here's Chelsea's tweet. Now the BB crazies are running the show, unchecked and will effectively turn Gaza and the left bank into starvation camps or mental asylums, if not already, and bomb Iran into submission. They will be a religious term for this. I think the evangelicals call it the rapture. Yeah, she really tweeted that out, honestly. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. My hit tip of the week is Warrior. You know, the first time I saw this movie back in 2011, I thought, wow, what a good film. This is going to be huge, a big hit. Wrong. It slipped in and out of theaters. It didn't have Nick Nolte get Best Supporting Actor nomination. He didn't win, but that was about the biggest fame it got in its theatrical release. But you know what? It's certainly worth revisiting. It's a very good film. It has Joel Edgerton and Tom Hardy, two excellent actors. I feel like Edgerton is in every other movie these days, and deservedly so. I think he's really talented, and uh, he's certainly a hard-working thespian at this point in his career, and the gigs, the gigs keep coming his way. This time, Hardy and Edgerton play two brothers. They're both MMA fighters, but with very different lives, very different paths, but of course, those paths will be intersecting at some point soon. Spoiler alert. Again, Nick Nolte plays their father. It's a great performance. He does a lot of that especially in recent years. I think he's gotten really strong as an actor, uh, even more so than his younger days. 
The storytelling template here is not fresh. We've seen variations of this time and time again, but the performances are excellent across the board, not just with Nick Nolte. It's also the kind of movie that should have broken MMA fighting really wide. This should have been like that moment in our culture where all of a sudden people said, hey, wait a minute. You know, boxing's all well and good, but look at this kind of fighting. It's amazing. It didn't. But, you know, the sport actually broke itself out a year or two later, so I guess it was meant to be. For now, Warrior is available on Amazon Prime. Now, let's get to this week's HitCast interview. Frank J. Fleming worked as a smart conservative pundit for a while until the gig just didn't appeal to him anymore. Hard to blame the guy. Politics can be kind of ugly. So he switched gears pretty quickly and pretty effectively, turning his talents to writing fiction with a dollop of humor. His books include the self-help memoir, Punch Your Inner Hippie, great title again, and his new fantasy yarn, Side Quest, in Realms Ungoogled. The film's hero is an ordinary man whose ordinary life is upended when he takes a different path to work one day. All of a sudden, he's encountering fairies, magical realms, and a potential love interest with a pretty dark side. You can find out more about SideQuest as well as his other books at frankjfleming.com. It's his official website. But for now, I hope you enjoy my chat with Frank Fleming. Well, Frank, thanks for joining the HitCast. You know, I, I always am curious about writers, how they got to where they are. I had sort of an unconventional path to becoming a writer myself. Uh, what's the cocktail party version of your writer's journey? Was there like a, a, a kind of a pivotal moment along the way that helped you get to where you are today or was it a, an evolution? Well, I guess it's been an evolution. I've always played around with stories ever since I was a little kid. Um, and it's just something I kind of eventually realized that was like my driving passion I had to get back to. Um, my main kind of detour was in a lot into uh, political satire, which also has a long history. My first um, column in a newspaper was back in high school. I wrote, uh, they had a they wanted a local, someone from the high school to write uh, an opinion piece for the paper. So if you submitted, and mine was chosen, and it was on how uh, political and economic theory should be tested on monkeys before being used on people. That's a great idea. <laughs> I think it's still a great idea. <laughs> that's right. It's ageless. <laughs> well, well, then, but that's a kind of an early example of saying, hey, not only do I write, do I like to write, but someone plucked my story out of a competition. So that's, that's a good sign. Yeah, yeah, I, I and that's uh, I did a bit of that uh, for like my college paper. I went to Carnegie Mellon University. I, I mainly tried to just come up with just off the wall ideas, and uh, I think I had a lot more success with that than sort of lecture politics, which is you know mm -hmm. sort of the norm, especially when you're in college and stuff. Yeah. And then w when I got out, I was one of the uh, people you'd call like a war blogger. I started a blog after uh, 9/11. Actually, it's in 2002. Um, but I was 23 at the time and I was just, uh, I really thought, well, I can't be lecturing people on like politics at this age. I don't know what I'm talking about. So that's why I just stuck to making really wacky off the wall opinions. Like mm -hmm. my most famous, like early piece was the, uh, my, uh, nuke the moon for world peace, uh, idea, which, uh, Still, still fairly popular. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's a good track record. Well, you're talking about wacky ideas. SideQuest certainly qualifies. Uh, love the concept. And uh, talk about, I think this is the kind of story where you can not just tell a fanciful, funny, interesting tale, but also maybe share some messages or, or just tap up on themes that are interesting to the human experience. Uh, talk a little bit about that and, and what you think readers might take away from your book. Well, I mean, first and foremost, I'm always just trying to be an entertaining story. Uh, I know it's very easy to get, like, you have your idea and you want to 
you know, you have it helps when you have a theme for a story, but you also want to make sure it's entertaining. But uh, but for me, this story came from the idea is that, well, one thing is just we learn to block out a lot just as like part of life. And uh, the story starts out with the uh, the protagonist, Terrence, uh, finally checking out this unmarked road. He always passed by like thousands of times on his way to work. And uh, part of the story is just that idea is exploring these things you just learn to ignore. And the other is just this idea of there just being a lot of fantastic and terrible things out there that we just don't pay attention to. And it's and he the protagonist, he's, he has to decide whether he wants to confront evil or just try to go back to a normal life. And that's what's pulling him in different directions. And it gets pretty weird for him, especially when he suspects his girlfriend is evil. And it's not like she's little bit evil but she actually like wears demonic armor and serves the forces of darkness and it's but he's the only one who finds it odd and i think people you know end up in that situation a lot of times where they're like saying this is really wrong but everybody else acts like it's normal yeah well we've all done that that swipe on tinder and got there so i I get that (laughs) Uh, from a storyteller's perspective when you I like the themes in play here. I think that's interesting. And I think it's the kind of thing that we can all relate to. When you're writing a story like SideQuest, is it intentional or do you kind of come up with the story, the themes, the, the dialogue, and then you go say, hey, you know, this actually speaks to this sort of situation? Or uh, as a storyteller, how, how does that process work for you? Uh, it, it depends. Uh, sometimes you just have a story idea that sounds like, well, you, you know, you can, you can hang your hat on this and make something interesting happen. And then when you come back to it, you realize the theme. Uh, Side quest, I had a little bit more of a theme to start with, and so that one flowed, I think, a little bit easier. Mm -hmm. Um, I think at some point in the story, I mean, you don't want your story to be a lecture or anything, but at some point in your story, you have to figure out what the theme is. And you have to, and that helps you unite the whole story so it actually feels like it goes from point A to point B. Gotcha. Uh, Side quest has some fun with geek culture, and I'm always fascinated. You know, when I was a kid, I grew up. I got comic books delivered to my house, and I hid them because I didn't want my friends at school to see me reading comic books. It'd be, you know, it was sort of the Revenge of the Nerds era. And now today, if you're actually not reading comic books, you might get beaten up. What, what do you, just as a cultural observer, what happened? Why, why do you think we're, we are where we are right now? I, I'm still not sure. I don't think, that's the thing, I don't think very many people actually read comic books outside of, like, movie producers now. <laughs> I mean, they're the, they're the subject for like, you know, half the movies out there. But I, I don't think like the numbers are actually that large for mm-hmm. the actual comic books. And it's kind of weird when you, I I only read a few comic books growing up. And then I went back to it for a while when I was like uh, was an adult, maybe a number of years back. And it's kind of different how like actually it seems like most of the, you know, like Spider-Man stuff are actually aimed at a much older audience than I would have thought they are. Gotcha. Uh, you know, one of the things that I like about your book and also just about science fiction in general is when you're dealing with genre fiction, you can do a lot of things. You can kind of obviously go in different directions and your imagination is your only limit. But I also think, I always go back to like Dawn of the Dead and how George Romero wanted to comment on consumerism. Why do you think that kind of science fiction, maybe even horror as well, they're so good at kind of telling other stories while the main story is going on? Because I think that's one of the reasons why they're so rich. Well, yeah, I mean, like the other option is you have something to say, you write a little column and, you know, that's boring. No one wants to hear like, oh, I believe this and this. You write a story, well, you have something interesting going on. And if people don't get the message, you know, hopefully at the end of the day, they're at least entertained by the story. Mm -hmm. Well, if, you know, if people don't get the message in like a 
you know, a political column or something that's completely pointless. Hmm. Obviously, humor has been a part of your work uh, from the very beginning. I was kind of curious your take on political humor today. I, I find it a bit ex- exasperating. You know, I'm not a Trump guy per se. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it just seems lazy and almost like the, the, the Bill Clinton is Randy the kind of gags that we had during the late 90s, you know, the Jay Leno's of the world would tell those stories. And I guess they were great at first, but I, I, I felt burnt out at them. And I've, I'm feeling a, a similar burnout on political comedy today. But what's your take on it? Oh, yeah, I think Trump has basically killed satire. Now, I, I'm one of those I found out I'm in a bubble like I'm a conservative and all my conservative friends, none of us like Trump or even really wanted to vote for him. But at the same time, it's like we're also kind of frustrated by how much people are over the top going against him. And it's and this but the satire is just the worst because the guy is hilarious by himself. You don't have to add anything to it. And when they try to do like a parody of him, it just doesn't it's just pointless. It's it's not as funny as the actual thing. And it, it and it's just whenever it's like. Everybody wants to be subversive, but when everybody's making fun of Trump, it's like there's nothing subversive about that. Yeah, I remember years ago, I, I don't know if they were trying to parody the Jerry Springer show or something similar to that. I'm thinking, the show is a parody. It's over the top. It's crazy. What could you possibly do to top that? And they really couldn't, and I think there's something similar going on here. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly that. It's just, you know, when the... It, it, it's trying to parody a comedy, which is just it, it's pointless to do, mm-hmm. and it, it's and that's why it just gets so tiresome because everybody you know they they know like all the jokes about Trump already. Everybody makes jokes, and it, it's just it's not it, it doesn't add anything to the conversation. You have to go in a different direction. I, I thought what was a, a pretty good piece. Uh, it was a Saturday Night Live sketch. They had um, it was like Black Jeopardy, and they had uh, Tom Hanks's uh, you know. Uh, Make America Great, you know, uh, uh, Trump hat, you know, wear like supporter on there. But the message was is that he wasn't that different from the, uh, you know, the lower class uh, African-Americans who were also, you know, uh, in that. And that was actually a different message, you know, instead of just like, hey, look at this dumb Trump voter. And that's actually, you know, that's that's the actual good kind of political satire where you have an audience and you're not just meeting their expectations. You're going away from it. Yeah, it's, most it's, of, yeah, most of the satire here is just kind of lazy. It's like, you all agree with me, and here's some even more reasons that we should <laughs> are right, and we should all agree with each other. And, and at the other end, also, it's just a lot of times it, political satire is just lazy humor. It's like humor on easy mode, because if you're making fun of somebody you know everybody already hates – then you have that phenomenon we call clapper humor, where you just, you know, it doesn't even have to be clever. You're just making fun of the target everybody hates, and they'll give you a laugh, you know, for nothing. Yeah. One other skit that I thought was really good and funny and clever and unexpected on Saturday Night Live, which I've just completely soured on, sadly, because I love the show as a, as a youngster. It was called mm-hmm. Woke Jeans, and they were making fun of our woke culture. And it was, again, it, it was so unexpected. It, just that alone made it worth my while. But yeah, that, that Black Jeopardy sketch was quite good. And uh, I'm glad you brought it up because there aren't too many sketches I can point to go, oh, that was different or novel or subversive because they don't do that that much anymore. But uh. Well, yeah, it's just it's like subversive. Um, you know, it, it's hard to do the, these days. Like I watched um, uh, that This Is America video uh, by uh, Don Glover. 
And it's very fascinating, very well done, but I don't think it's subversive. As far as I understand, it's more commentary like all these bad things about America. But if everybody's already saying that, you know, optimism would be subversive. Yeah, you right. have to go a different direction than you can't just be like, hey, you're all saying that. Well, I'm saying it, too. And that that doesn't add anything to the conversation. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, uh, we're talking with Frank J. Fleming, author of the new science fiction book, SideQuest in Realms Ungoogled. You know, a few years back, you wrote a book, Punch Your Inner Hippie, and uh, I say a great title. But uh, that was before the snowflake culture took over. I was kind of curious what your thoughts are on that particular social trend, and is it is it crying out for a sequel to your book? Uh, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was a very good self-help book I, I wrote. I think that kind of gets down to it. We all have like a whiny, entitled individual you know, inside of us that needs to be punched so we can succeed, because that's what's holding us back. Um, but... Yeah, I think there, you know, there's a big, uh, you know, push now where people are are kind of rejecting that culture. I actually, I watched that uh, series Cobra Kai mm-hmm. that just came out on uh, was it YouTube? Yeah, YouTube. And uh, yeah, and it's actually you got the anti-hero of Johnny from the original Karate Kid, who who's maybe a little over the top. You know, he's you're not, he's not supposed to be a good example, but at the same time. He's taking up. He's is you know helping kid these like nerd kids by giving them you know a little bit against the snowflake culture, and I, I it's nice to see like some push against that where it's like, okay, like toxic masculinity is bad, but too little masculinity is also bad. That's right. We'll get the right mix down at some point. Uh, I was kind of curious. I understand that you did a lot of political commentary in the past, and you kind of segued out of that. Uh, talk a little bit about why you do that, and also. I feel like the news cycle is so juicy every day. Do you ever want to dip your toe back in there, or do you kind of enjoy the fact that you're not in that realm at this point? Well, it, it's. I guess I got. I just got burnt out, and that uh, I was one of those. Who was just when we got to the 2016 election, it was like Hillary versus Trump. It's like, what am I? What am I even trying to accomplish here? I'm not sure. And 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 again, like I said, it's just the satire is just because it's all you know people saying the same things over and over it just feels like there isn't anything useful to say it's almost like you need the opposite of satire now you need to take someone take the ridiculous things that are going on and make something serious out of them but um i I don't know i i like i like making a comment here on twitter though but i don't miss having to write like i've tried to write you know long pieces and things on uh certain political topics i'd rather just a comment here and there and um it feels like mentally healthier, not thinking about it too much. If you can keep a nice detachment, which helps with humor is detachment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're much happier, I think, throughout the day. Yeah, I feel like every other day I see a comment on Twitter with someone saying, spent the weekend without Twitter and feel so much better, lighter, and happier. <laughs> a whole burden has been lifted off me. Of course, they're they're back on Twitter to say that, but maybe that's well. Historic. Yeah, I don't. I don't believe in cutting it off. I mean, we have this nice little, you know, Twitter. I mean, think of that. You know, it's take like months to send messages across the ocean. And now you can send, talk to people across, you know, the whole world instantly. And it's just, can't we use that to like make each other happier instead Mm -hmm. of angrier? It seems like, you know, it's like, I'd rather try and be what I want twitter to be than just like completely you know keep complaining about you know how it's awful yeah well chewbacca mom tried to heal the nation but it didn't didn't stick <laughs> yeah there's there's some there's still some good things on the internet that picks us up but i, I think that's like i said i think that's the subversive stuff we need now we need optimism and we need uh, people just trying to not tear into each other constantly yeah i agree 
Your work has been featured on Liberty Island, which is a site that's dedicated to right of center writers, even though your work does not really get politically uh, motivated, or at least there's not sort of hard themes there. I was going to just, <laughs> your thoughts on Liberty Island, and does it matter? I mean, does is there a need for a place like that in, in the culture? I mean, do you, as a writer, see any kind of either discrimination or sort of a lack of uh, enthusiasm for people who might have a right of center point of view? Well, we, we've had a bit of that. You know, you see that constantly where it's like they're trying to wall off, like, well, conservatives are just verboten. I haven't counted that personally. Uh, I ran to Liberty Island because I worked uh, with uh, Adam Bellow on my satire books uh, with Harper Collins. And, uh, and it was like, well, I, I'm kind of want. I told him I wanted to get into novel writing, and he had this company coming up. So that's they've been publishing my works, even though, like I said, I try to make them not political. I'd rather, you know, everybody enjoy them. But, uh, you know, I don't, you know, it, every once in a while you get like these little clicks, and it's kind of nice, and you can have some success in there. But I, I think it's better to aim at, you know, being, you know, mainstream. You know, if you want to influence the culture, you got to write for everybody. Mm -hmm. And you can't just try to get, you know, too focused. You know, I don't want to write books just for, you know, right-wingers or something. Gotcha. You wrote a, a guest post for Sarah Hoyt about wokeifying fiction, and obviously <laughs> there's a, a tongue planted deeply in cheek there. I, I want to get, get a little serious about that because, I, I mean – I don't write screenplays. I don't write novels. I, my writing is different. But I, I'm sort of aghast at what people who are in those professions are doing these days. I mean, when you sit down on your laptop, you think, I'm going to write a wacky comedy. And then think, wait a minute. What about that character? I don't know if that character is the right identification or if the message she's sending is a – I mean, I would think you'd be tied up in knots with this well cult well culture. Uh, just sh share your thoughts on it. And are, are we – be even approaching a blowback to it, or is it still kind of digging in and, and kind of doing whatever damage it might do to the creative process? I think we're already hating the blowback. I don't think most people take like cultural appropriation seriously. They realize that's not a thing. And they're trying, you know, at some point it's just, but it's like you said, there's no, we got to find a happy medium. You know, there's like, you don't, there's no reason to use ethnic slurs. There's no, if, mm -hmm. you know, something really offends people, you know, you, you want to, try to be nice and use, you know, good language. But at the same time, it's just, they're finding, people are just trying to find like 20 new things to declare offensive each day. And it's just, that's not sustainable. At some point, it's just, everything's a minefield. and You can't say anything or even be creative. It, it, I mean, it, it's exactly like the whole Newspeak concept, concept from uh, 1984, where you're going to be limited to these few words that you're allowed to use without offending anybody. And they'll just limit creativity too much. I mean, at some point you just got to say, you know, words can't hurt you. Uh, you know, it's, it's okay to be offended. I, I'm a Christian. I'm offended by like a thousand things every single day, but you know, I, I soldier on. And that's why I th feel like people need to talk to is like, you know, Christians, it, we, we get offended all the time, but no one cares. No one's looking out for us, but you know, we, we do just fine anyways. I think more people have to take that attitude. I'm kind of curious, and this is not just about writing. Maybe it could be music. It could be TV shows. Who are, are there any writers or talent or comedians that you are particularly fond of these days that you can get recommend? Even folks who maybe aren't in the spotlight or are just emerging that you've kind of spotted and said, "Hey, I think she's great," or "I think this person's really someone to watch." Uh, oh, I wish I was good at. Picking out talent, I would have prepared a list, but uh, I'm trying to think off. You got me offhand. You know, I I just find you know whoever I'm, 
entertaining. Uh, I try to follow a wide range of people, like on Twitter, and make sure it's not just all on the right, mm-hmm. you know, so you don't get too much in a bubble. But um, well, from I that mean, perspective, uh, are there any people on the left who you could recommend we follow or or even read their commentary? I mean, sometimes I struggle with that, and sometimes I, I'm proud to find some people that I can kind of reach across the aisle to and enjoy. Yeah, I, I find there's definitely some people I find funny, uh, like. I think one of the best Twitter accounts is Pixelated Boat, and he's like far, far left wing, but he, he's hilarious. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, I, I wish there were more intellectuals on the left I could read. It, it, you know, it's not like I don't care if people disagree with me. I just want them to say something interesting, mm-hmm. and it feels like there's just too much conformity being enforced on the left now where you just have people all saying the same things in the same direction. And, um, you know, it's I'm trying to think of like anybody who kind of breaks out from that mold on the left, because I I, I feel like that's what we need to be fostering more is people who are both like going against the grain on the right and on the left. Yeah, I know Bill Maher recently spoke out against uh, about the politically correct culture. He was talking about the the movie I Feel Pretty with Amy Schumer. It was a really uh, eviscerating clip. I mean, he destroyed those his critics. But. It's not where you think a Bill Maher would go because he's left of center and this, this energy is coming from the left. And uh, I thought that was a great example. But, uh, yeah, I agree. I, th- I think on both sides when there's sort of someone cutting against the grain and doing it with, with an, an effective approach, it's always pretty positive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like I don't care if you agree with me or disagree with me. Just say something interesting. You know, it's, it's just too many people are trying to get by on saying the same things over and over but louder. Yeah, that's right. Well, before we let you go, Frank, one quick question. Let's just say there are some younger people in the audience, or maybe even older folks who have never really embraced being a writer, but they want to now. Of course, there's about a million different ways you can do it, blogging, Facebook. What kind of advice would you give them for someone new on that journey? Uh, Don't do it. I already have enough competition. (laughs) That sounds like uh, Rodney Dangerfield at the end of Back to School. Hey, go back to school. Yeah, there's there's the old advice, which is like uh, – just you got to write if you want to do it, then you got to write every day. And mm-hmm. I think that that's the thing is you got to determine. Uh, I eventually came to the conclusion that I was always going to come up with stories, and the only way to get them out of my head was to write them down. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's like something I was I was going to have to do whether I'm successful at it or not. And that's if writing is something like that for you, then you just have to set aside time each day. I, I get up really early in the morning so I can write before. I get bothered, you know, uh, the kids getting up or anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just something you got to you got to hit at it every day. So transcribe the voices in your head. Got it. OK. <laughs> Basically, yeah, that's the only way to silence the demons. That's right. Well, well, thank you, Frank, for joining the HitCast. Please read Frank's new book, SideQuest in Realms Ungoogled on Amazon now. We'll have a, a link to it at the show notes page. Also, check out some of his past releases, too. He's got a lot of good stuff, including Super Ego and, of course, that hippie book we just mentioned. I like that's like anything on a health, self-help book that's different, I enjoy. All the best in the new book, and we'll look forward to talking to you again down the road. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. You know what this is? A commercial? Right, and you know what that means. Time for a snack? Wrong. I want you to do some heart-healthy exercise. Yes, you! Try some seated leg extensions right now. Just lift each leg up and extend it straight one at a time, six to eight times. I can do that. 
Yes, you can. Remember, every commercial is a chance to sneak in heart-healthy activity. Visit findexerciseanywhere.com and speak with your doctor to learn more about the risks of heart failure. Let's make Vision Zero a reality in D.C. Almost half of D.C.'s traffic fatalities come from impaired driving. These deaths are 100% preventable. Don't let impaired driving ruin your holiday. Always have a plan for a sober ride. Never drive impaired. D.C. police are arresting drunk and drugged drivers. Drive sober or get pulled over. A message from the District Department of Transportation and Metropolitan Police Department.